0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Morning. Who are you guys? Awesome. It's good to see you. Um, I was thinking about when we when we give, like whether it's uh, you know our, our finances, resources, whatever it is that we give. What we're really giving is our time. Because you traded your time for whatever it is that you're giving in the offering. So what you're saying is, God, my time belongs to you. Whether I trade it to somebody for dollars, or whether it's getting up in the morning and giving you that time to seek you out in the morning first, um, whether it's during the day as I keep my mind aware of you, as I'm constantly aware of you as I go throughout my day, but my time belongs to you. I don't hold on to any part of my time. It, It all belongs to you. And so, um, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read a little bit from there. Um, just a short passage and then there's some things that I felt like this just this morning God put on my heart and I feel like it's really, really targeted and maybe even goes along with what Carl was talking about with time. Um, Matthew chapter 4. Verse eighteen. This is Jesus. He's just come out of the wilderness. He's just come out of being tempted by the enemy. He's just come out of defeating the enemy with the word of God. Um, if you feel like you're being attacked in your life, there's a good there's a good reference point in the word to find where Jesus was attacked by the enemy. You know, sometimes everybody takes. Sometimes people take condemnation for the things that they think. You know, but every thought doesn't belong to you. Sometimes they're suggested there or put there. Uh, things that are said to you, things that you see, it causes thoughts. Jesus actually considered what the enemy tempted him with. The enemy said, if, 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 if you really are the, the Son of God, then, then tell these stones to be turned to bread. He knew that Jesus was hungry. He'd been fasting for 40 days. Jesus didn't look at him and say, blue rhinoceros. He actually considered what the enemy was saying, which means he thought about it and realized, wait a minute, that's not from my Father. So he rejects it. Submits it to the Word of God and answers Him back straight from the Word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. To consider something doesn't mean that it's yours. How you respond to it becomes yours or actually defeats it. It's okay that you thought about that. It's what you do with that thought. It's whether you actually subject it to the obedience of Christ. It's whether you actually see it for what it is and reject it. Jesus actually thought He was tempted in every way which is common to man, yet without sin, which means He had the same thoughts that every one of us deal with at some point in His life. It's what He chose to do with those thoughts that kept Him without sin. So don't take condemnation. Don't even take conviction. It's what you do with it. It's how you respond that determines whether or not that's yours, whether or not it's just another thought out there in the universe. Anyways, Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18, so Jesus has just come down out of the wilderness, He's just defeated the enemy, and he's, he's gone into the temple, and now He's finding disciples. And these are the first disciples that He calls. It says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And He said to them, Follow Me, and I'll make you fishers of men. God, I just thank You for Your Word today. I thank You that that You're here. I thank You that Your Word is alive. God, that as we speak and as we read and as we study Your Word, that it actually changes our hearts and changes our lives, God. That it makes us more like You. Holy Spirit, I ask that we would hear everything that You have to say today. That You would speak through me. That our ears would be open to hear. Our minds to receive. Our hearts to to take in the seed of Your Word, God. that, That our lives would produce fruit. That people that that don't know You, that don't even sometimes know that they're looking for You, that are seeking to fill empty places in their life, God, would taste the fruit of our lives and know that You're good. That our words and our deeds would line up. And that we could say like Jesus, if You've seen Me, You've seen My Father. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's not an arrogant statement for any believer to make that if You've seen Me, You've seen the Father because You're made in His image and in His likeness. The Spirit of God is transforming you and and changing you more and more every day into the image of His Son. That's what He's here to do. That's what the Gospel does. It makes us more like Him. And if Jesus was the exact representation of the Father, and if we're in Christ and we're following Jesus, then at some point we should be able to say to people, if you want to know what my Father is like, watch my life. That's not an arrogant thing to say. That means that you really take God at His word and you believe that He really is doing in your life what He said that He would do. In fact, if we never find ourselves able to say that, then we're probably more conscious of where we've missed it than where He's made us right. We're probably more conscious of our failing and and the things that we haven't done right than we are of His success, of His victory, and the things that He did right. And so, so Jesus is now calling His first disciples and He's saying, follow me. And He says to them, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. How many of you guys have ever heard that verse before? Everybody, right? We've all heard this verse just about, right? Where Jesus says to them, This is him calling his disciples. It says they were cast in their nets, for they were fishermen. It's what they did. Like so obvious stuff, right? But 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 I think it's it's interesting to point out they weren't sitting on a couch somewhere waiting for Jesus to call them into greatness. They were fishermen, so they were fishing. It's not about sitting and waiting for God sometimes it is as much as it is doing the thing that He's placed within you to do and trusting that He'll open the doors for you, that He'll call you into what He has for you. So these guys are fishermen, so they're doing what fishermen do. They're fishing. And along comes Jesus and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. When I hear that or when I've heard that in the past many times, these are the thoughts that I've been tempted to have. Follow me and I'll watch and I'll see if you do enough to prove that you're really following me. Just being honest, I felt like that. At times like Jesus said, "Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." Like I took that sometimes to mean like if you want to follow me, you're going to have to fish for men. And then I would look at my life and say, "Am I fishing for men? Am I catching any? What's the fruit of my life? Are my nets empty?" And these things happen, right? Because, because we read that verse and sometimes we, we get so used to looking for the instruction and for the order in what's said to us and looking for what my part is. We're always doing that. When I hear something said to me, I'm always going, okay, what's my part? And that's not, always, that's not a horrible thing. That's a good thing sometimes. But when Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, there was nothing required of them but to follow him. And he said, if you follow me, I will make you into something. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. What do fishermen do? They take something from where it is and they attract it and they bring it to where they are. That's what fishermen do. So what was he saying to them? He's saying, listen, you guys, if you'll follow me, I'll change you and I will make you into something that's attractive to people so that people will go from where they are to where you are as you follow me. It wasn't this thing of like, follow me and if you want to follow me, you have to stand on the table at Burger King and preach the gospel and make sure you get enough people saved every week to prove to everybody that you're really following me. Now, if he tells you to stand on the table and preach the gospel, do it. But that's not even a proof that I'm following Jesus, because I could be doing things out of my own desire to perform, to try to prove something to myself that I really don't believe and make myself measure up if I'm not careful, rather than trusting that if I just follow him, he promised that he would do the work and that he would actually make me something that I was not before. He said to them, right now, this is what you are, you fish for fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. In other words, I'm going to make you something that you currently are not. And all I ask is that you follow me. When was the last time? Just being real honest. When was the last time you didn't feel any pressure to become something or to do more? That's what he asked me, and it kind of arrested me in my thoughts. It was early this morning, I was up just, I couldn't get settled last night in what I had to preach. It's a good message, it's a great message, it's from him, but I just didn't feel like it was for today, and I just closed my computer and I went to sleep, and I just somehow felt like I'll meet you back here in the morning. So when I woke up early, really early this morning, it wasn't a surprise. And as I was contemplating those words, I just, that was the question that popped into my mind. When was the last time you didn't feel any pressure to become something or to do more? When was the last time you didn't feel like it was your responsibility to become who He created you to be? Like you didn't feel the weight of that? Not that you didn't desire it. There's a difference. See, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What was he saying? If you get yoked with me, if you come alongside and let me come alongside you, there's going to be fields to plow. But when you're connected to me, you won't feel the weight and the pressure of it because I'll be the one pulling the load. You're still going to walk fields in that analogy. You're still going to plow. You're still going to pull a plow. He said the, the yoke will be easy and the burden will be light. In other words, you won't feel all the pressure and the weight and the straining because if you just walk and step with me. Now, if you get out ahead of me, what happens if you get ahead of him in that scenario? Like if you're linked together with him and you guys are both connected by a yoke and you start getting a few steps ahead of him, suddenly all the weight shifts from him to you because you're out ahead of where he's asked you to be. And sometimes we feel pressure in our lives, not because we're not going in the right direction, but because we've gotten ahead of Him. And all of a sudden, it's like we feel that weight that wasn't there when we were walking in step with Jesus. When You know what it's like when you're walking in sync with Him, when there's, just a, there's a grace on what you're doing, and you just know that you're following His voice, you're following His leading, you're becoming who He's called you to become, and you just feel that. It's just light. It's easy. There's this rhythm to life. And all of a sudden, sometimes we get this wild idea that I should be doing more. I should be, I should, by now, I should be, you know, we start comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, which Paul tells us is really, really bad to do, because it says if you do that, you lack knowledge. But all of a sudden, we start looking, and we, or we see another pair of oxen up ahead of us, and we think, oh my gosh, look how much of the field they've plowed already, without realizing they started long before us or without realizing God's called them to plow a section of field that's a whole lot easier to plow and it takes a whole lot less work to walk through the section that there and you're in a rocky section where it's a whole lot more work and the reason you're going slow is not because you're not doing what they're doing it's because you're doing exactly what he's called you to do it just looks different and all of a sudden we go oh no there's this pressure i got to i got to go i got to i got to catch up or i'm not doing enough or or or, or sometimes if we're not even careful We'll set a standard for our life that He hasn't set. And if we set a standard for our lives that He didn't set, we're setting ourselves up for frustration, pressure, stress, and eventually burnout. Because we're trying to do something in our own strength that He's called us to do in His strength. We're trying to do something in our timing that He's called us to do in His timing. We've gotten out of step. And now, can you imagine the absolute foolishness of us pulling on the harness and trying to drag Him along and trying to make the yoke easy and the burden light for Him. But when we get out of step and we start getting ahead of Him, that's what we're doing. We're yelling back to Him, come on, Jesus, catch up! (laughs) And He doesn't catch up. He just keeps walking. Why? Because He's not going to adjust His timetable for your impatience. He's going to keep walking and he believes that he knows best. He's supremely confident in the fact that he knows more than you do and that someday you'll realize that and you'll get back into step with him rather than trying to force him to get in step with you. I look back on my life and I see these times in my life where I've done that. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah, she's not here today, so someone's going to pick up the slack. If you were here last week or a few weeks before, you know who I'm talking about. It was awesome. Last week, or uh, I think her name's Margaret. She just stood up the last ten minutes of the message. She just she couldn't take it anymore. She just. It is. It's super encouraging, right? And then. There's times, I, and, and these are all things that He started showing me. Just this morning, He brought all these things right into my memory. I actually found myself texting someone and praying for them that I hadn't even thought about in a long time because of the things He was bringing me through and walking me through and showing me times where this stuff's happened in my life. And, and I was thankful for His goodness and His grace because some of the things that He showed me that I did, I, I didn't even know that I was doing at the time, and it turned out to be the thing that He would have had me to do. Sometimes the grace of God in our lives is that we do through survival what He was calling us to do through obedience. What we think of as just survival is actually obedience to Him. We just don't know it at the time. And then we see the, beauty, the wisdom in it after the fact when we look back. A lot of our lives are like that. you guys. A lot of our lives only make sense when we look at them in rear view, in hindsight. When we look back in the middle of it, a lot of times it doesn't make any sense. In fact, it could make like opposite sense of what we're thinking. It could seem wrong. It could seem hard. It could seem bad. It could seem like we're doing everything wrong at the time. But then when we start looking back and we see with hindsight, oh, you were doing this. Oh God, you were teaching me that. Or you were making me and I was becoming this and you were preparing me for that. And I had no idea in the moment And what felt like frustration was actually me pressing through something that you would called me to press through. What felt like there was something coming against me because of lack of obedience was actually me doing exactly what you called me to do. It just meant that I was facing resistance at the time and I couldn't see. I can do anything for a period of time as long as I know it's not forever and there's a purpose. Right? Like, human beings, we can do things... As long as we know that it's not forever and that there's a purpose. There was actually a man who did something. This is outside the notes. But, but he put an ad in the paper and he hired people and he paid them. He started out at $15 an hour. He raised it to 20 then 25 then 30 then 40 And when they would come and answer the ad, he would tell them, I want you to take the shovels. there would be five at a time in groups of five. I want you to take the shovels and I want you to dig a hole that's four feet deep Four feet wide, four feet square. So dig a four foot by four foot by four foot hole. Call me when you're done. These guys would start digging this hole. They would get it dug. They would call him. He would come out. He would look at it and say, that looks good. Fill it in. Call me when you're done. And they would fill it in. They would call him. He would come there. He would look and say, that looks good. Take two steps over. I want you to dig a four foot by four foot by four foot hole. Call me when you're done. And after about, depending on how much he paid, people only lasted anywhere between five and two days of doing this. And you know what he found? He found that the people that got paid the most were the ones that were the least willing to do the job for the longest. The people who came for $15 an hour lasted three times as long as the people who came for $40 an hour. And what he realized was this, was that people who valued themselves and saw themselves as valuable and with having something to offer the world were not content to do something that seemed like it had no point and made no difference for very long. The more we see ourselves as being valuable to the world, not because of who we are, but because of what we carry inside of us and who He's made us to become. You carry the Spirit of the living God inside of you. You are a temple. Paul says this. Like, and I think the early church had just as hard a time understanding and believing this as we do now because he wrote to them in a letter. Don't you know that, you, that God's temple is holy and that is what you are? You are a temple of the living God. A dwelling place of the living God. The living God lives inside of you. And we will only do things for so long before we start to wonder, is this making any difference? Is this worth doing? And is there ever going to be an end to it? And I promise you this, if God's called you to it, there is a a purpose, there is a reason, and there is an end to it. Just keep digging. Keep digging. So... A lot of times what will happen is, if we're not careful, as he moves us from one season to another, we start to look back and compare ourselves against ourselves. How many of you guys have done that? It's okay, you don't have to raise your hands, right? where we we look back and we go man there was a time in my life where i did x y and z and now i'm only doing a b and c and we start looking back and we think wow x y z roy was so after the lord's heart and was so being used by god and a b c roy is so not doing what god has created him to do and i have to try to get back to where i was when i was doing x y and z because man that was a time in my life where i just saw so much fruit there were so many things happening and 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 me today, there's no way that I'm walking in the same level of obedience or that I'm walking in the same level of influence today as I was when I was walking in that stuff. And if we're not careful, we'll try to recreate a season that He's called us out of and all it will do is lead us to frustration and delay us ever seeing the season He's calling us into. Because we're spending our lives trying to recreate something He's called us from rather than understanding there's something ahead that He's calling us to. I've done that. And there was there was a time in my life, right? Where Paul let me don't I don't want to get too ahead, I gotta give you scripture to make it official. Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse twelve. Paul's writing to the church. This is a time when, when there was pastors, preachers that were coming around teaching people and they were walking to the, to the church. They would say, I'm an apostle. And, you know, they would say these things about themselves and commend themselves. They'd have letters of recommendation from other people and they would say, see, I'm recommended by this person, this person, this rabbi, this church. I was a blessing here. I was a, you ever notice when you meet people, a lot of times they want to tell you who they are. Sometimes when I go to lunch with people, I just want to tell them, like, hey, instead of trying to work everything cleverly into the conversation, just tell me everything amazing about yourself, because I'm sure you're full of amazing things, and that way we're not making weird connections and trying to work things into conversations that don't even fit. You know, like, hey, could you hand me that ketchup? Sure. Hey, you know who else likes ketchup? Steven Spielberg, and I met him one time. It's like, just tell me, impress me. I'm sure you're awesome. Awesome. It it happens like that, trust me. I mean, not with you guys, I'm sure. But you can imagine. It's the podcast people. They do those things. And um, so these people were coming and commending themselves to the church. And Paul writes this. He says, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. Paul's saying, listen, I'm not trying to tell you who I am in comparison to somebody else. I'm not going to be so bold. He was a humble guy. He knew who he was. He never stopped knowing who he was. He never lost sight of who he was. He never, ever didn't know who he was and who God had called him to be. But he was a humble guy. If anybody had a reason to say to them, listen, those guys are awesome, I'm sure. But don't forget, I'm Paul. Don't forget, I'm the one who was entrusted with the very gospel that they now have heard through somebody else that came from Jesus to me. And they're, the reason they can teach you is because they heard something that Jesus entrusted me with. But I got it straight from Him. I got it from the source. It's not watered down. Remember, that's who I am when these guys come. He never said that. He just said, listen, I'm not going to try to compare myself to them. Because when they compare themselves amongst themselves or even compare themselves to themselves, they do so because they lack knowledge. And then he ends the, that chapter with this. He says, For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but whom the Lord commends. He whom the Lord commends, right? And so, in other words, if you're, if you're looking at yourself and comparing yourself to yourself or to other people, it's a dangerous thing to do. Because you're looking at a time that was, and and trust me when I say this, we always look back and remember the good. We always romanticize the past. right? The best season is never the season that we're in, or hardly ever the season that we're in. It's that time when, and then we fill in the blank with all the good stuff that went on, forgetting all the bad stuff that ever happened. The children of Israel did this worse than anybody. The biggest ever romanticizing the past was the children of Israel as they look back at Egypt where they were enslaved, tortured, beaten, their sons and daughters were taken from them, they were brutalized, and they were absolutely treated like less than human beings. And they look back and they go, it was better in Egypt. At least then we had lemon and garlic. But if we're not careful, we do that. We look back at the past and we romanticize it. And even though it might have been an awesome time in our lives, the fact that we're not still doing those things is not always because there's something wrong or because we're walking in disobedience. It could be that God's called us into or is preparing us for something that's next. And by standing and looking at the past and wishing for those days, that's why the Bible says, never say those were the good old days. The Bible actually says that, it's in the Word. Do not say those were the good old days, for these are the best days. What are the best days? The, one that the ones that I'm in. Why? Because I trust that if I'm following Him, He's making me into something. And even if I can't see it in the moment, I trust that His Word is true. And He said if I will follow Him, He will make me something. Even if I don't see what He's making me. So, um, thanks, Hannah. Thanks, So the real question that really I should ask myself a lot of times is this. Am I following Jesus? Am I following Him? Is He leading me? Am I acknowledging Him in all my ways? Is, is He directing my path? Am I finding my delight in Him? Because He said if I would delight in Him, that He would give me the desires of my heart. Meaning, if I'm following after Him and I'm delighting in Him, the desires that I find in my heart will be the desires that He's placed there. So the things that I'm drawn towards will be the things that He naturally has me drawn towards. And if the answer is yes, well, first, if the answer is no, then the reason I may not be seeing fruit in my life that I used to see is because I'm walking in disobedience. That's a simple one. Repent. Stop doing whatever it is. Go back the other way and go back towards the place that you were when you were bearing fruit because the reason you're not still there bearing fruit is not because He's called you out. It's because you've stepped out. You've gotten ahead or you've left where He called you to be. That's a simple one. But if the answer is yes, then, then what I have to understand is this. If I'm following Him and, I'm, and He's leading me and I'm no longer doing the things that I was doing and I see a lack of that exact fruit in my life, I trust that it's because he's calling me into something different, and even if I can't see what it is, I trust him, and I keep going forward, and I stop looking back and wishing that I was where I was, and I thank him for where I'm going. because let me just this is what he was showing me this morning. When the grace is on your life to do something, it's awesome. When the grace is off your life to not do it anymore, it is completely not awesome to keep trying to do it. There's been times, literally, where like in my life, God's called me into something. He's graced me. He's gifted me. He's opened the doors. He's put me into a position that I could have never put myself in before. And it was awesome. And there was fruit. I remember one time, uh, one thing that he brought up this morning when I was thinking about that was when, I, when this church first started, I used to chaplain the local hockey team. It's a minor league team for the New York Rangers and the Calgary Flames, I think. And, and, and I was thinking about that season of my life, how it was, it was, it was an awesome time. As our church was first starting, um, a young guy that played on the team had just been drafted by the New York Rangers, was on a plane flying here to Greenville um, from the Rangers training camp in New York, and he got on a plane with uh, Kristen and started talking to her about looking for a church because he was, he was a Christian. He, he went to a Mennonite church in Canada and said he was looking for a church, and so she said, well, you should come to my church. Which is what everyone that comes to outreach says to people when they say they're looking for a church, right? I mean, look, I, I know it's trendy right now to say, well, the gospel's not about inviting people to church. No, but if you don't believe in the place that you're plugged in, why do you go? And if you do believe, why wouldn't you think that it's good for other people? It's not the totality of Christianity, but man, if it's a part of your spiritual walk and someone's looking for something that you believe in, why wouldn't you tell them? So anyways, just do that, with that what you will. So she invites him to come to church. He comes to church and in his own words, he witnesses a side of Christianity that he never had seen before. And, and, and his life starts to become radically transformed. And, and, and through knowing him, then we met some of the other hockey players and they started coming to church. And then, then I got invited by them to to be the, to come to a chapel service because they, they were a new team. They just started, so they didn't have an actual... There's an organization that does, hockey, that does chapel programs in every single league from the East Coast League to the American League to the NHL. Every single team has a chapel program except for the Washington Capitals. And they're not going to win a Stanley Cup until they do I'm just kidding <laughs> who knows if they will or not but <laughs> well you never know right but but so anyways um so they they brought me there and I met the guys who ran the chapel program and they talked to me and said man we've heard some really good things about your church and about you um, as a pastor from the guys that are coming and we're really looking for a chaplain to to take over this program we've been driving from Charlotte to do it and we can only do it once a month would you be interested in doing it I said well let me talk to my wife about it and pray about it and I'll let you know. So I talked to Patty about it. We prayed about it. Felt like it was something I was supposed to do. And so what it was, was every week I would go, or every week that they were in town, we would go to the Bilo Center, or the Bon Secours, but I'll call it the Bilo Center probably forever, but we would go to the Bilo Center and we would do a chapel service for them, for any player that wanted to come. It was after their practice got over and we'd have lunch there and we'd have a chapel service and, and I would just preach like a 20-minute message. We'd eat lunch together and do whatever it felt like God told us to do. And it was really an awesome time. We we had the we had the highest attended chapel in any league. We had basically the entire team, minus one or two guys, every single chapel service. There were chapel services and I, listen, it's not me, it's it's the, the goodness of God drawing them. I just got to be the person who when God said throw your net in the water, I threw it in and it came up full. But 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 there were teams that literally would have two or three guys attending the chapel program. We had 18, 19, 20. We saw people born again. We saw players filled with the Spirit. Their lives changed. I'll never forget one outreach we went on. And we were going downtown. And, uh, and one of the players, we were talking to a guy who had, he had infected feet. And his shoes were way too small and tight for his feet. And his feet were really infected. And, and I remember uh, one of the hockey players um, said, can I can I pray for your feet? And the guy said, you don't, you don't want to touch my feet. They're disgusting. And, and, and he was like embarrassed because of the smell of, with his feet and stuff. And the, the guy got down on his knees and took the guy's shoes off, prayed over his feet, pulled his socks off, and took the shoes off of his feet, put his socks, put his shoes on the man's feet, prayed over them, tied them up, and blessed him to be on his way. From people who had never done anything like that in their lives, because they were hanging out with people here, they were going after God. They were seeing that 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 man. It looks like something to follow Jesus, and it just the the fruit that came from that time was awesome. And I I did it for three seasons. And and it was great. It really was. We built relationships, and some of the relationships we built. I spent a couple hours on the phone the other day talking to one of the guys who I'll probably be friends with forever. He just he felt like family. We, I, I met him. Six days later, we were having lunch. At that lunch, he said, oh, by the way, I'm getting a surgery, and the season's over, and I have to have surgery, and I have to stay here until the doctor clears me and recovery. It'll probably be like two weeks. I was wondering, maybe it'd be cool if I stayed at your house. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> and and, 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 and we, just, we built friendships, and it was awesome. And there was just fruit everywhere from that. I mean, from I get, me getting to speak at the, at the Bible Center after one of the games and present the Gospel to people. And it was awesome. And then all of a sudden, as I looked towards the next season was talking to the guys that were in the program, I could not even picture myself doing another chapel service. And the grace was gone. And it wasn't a joy when I looked towards it. It just seemed like work. And it wasn't that it was like, well, now that it's getting hard, I don't want to do it anymore. It's just that the grace was gone from my life to do it. And it wasn't that I had stepped out of obedience. It wasn't that I was doing something wrong. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with the chapel program. It's just that God had something else for me that I couldn't see at the time that He was trying to clear my schedule for. And it took me actually saying no to something rather than looking longingly at that season and saying, but, but look at all the fruit that came from it. But look what I was doing. Look how I was being used. And look at all the people that were hearing the Gospel. And I could have stayed there and tried my best to recreate what once was. And I would have totally delayed enjoying what god was calling me into next and my my delayed obedience would have been disobedience and it would have cost me and so i just called them up and i said listen guys i i don't think i can do it anymore i said i I just i don't feel like i have the time and the energy and the grace on my life to put what that team what what that position requires into it and they said Well. well, well, what could you do? And I said, I could could maybe do once a month. And they said, we'll take that. Literally, this is not me boasting like this was something God called me into. They said, we've never seen more fruit from one of our chapel programs and we would love for you to stay involved in any capacity that you can. And I said, you guys, you don't understand. I wouldn't feel right only putting that much of my time into it. Those guys need more than that. And there's got to be somebody who has the time and the grace on their life right now to do it, but it's not me. And it fell apart and I never did it again. But, but every now and then I think about that season of my life and about just the fruit that I was seeing in that season. And if I wasn't careful, I could be tempted to look back and go, man, what am I doing in my life right now that's reaching as many people as that? Why am I not doing that stuff anymore? Why am I not doing that right now? And I could start looking back and thinking, man, I should try to make something happen. There was another time in my life I remember... We're, um, we're, and and, and to, to, to finish that before I start the next thing, it was because our church was growing. It was about to really start growing during that time. And, and, and our church family needed more of my attention and more of my time. And our family was about to step into a busier season of life. And my, my children and my wife would need more of my time and my ability to be able to help them. And, and there was other things that God was calling me to say yes to, but it took me saying no to that before I could be able to see, say yes to the things He had for me. And I could have floundered and struggled and gritted my teeth and made it through another season. And I would have missed out on the things that He had for me during that season. And I wouldn't have been doing the job that I was doing the years before when the grace was on my life to do it. We have to be okay with saying, listen God, I trust You. I'm following You. And I trust that You're making me something. And even if right now this season of my life doesn't look as fruitful as that season, I trust that it's leading me into something, and I'm not going to go back and try to recreate something. I'm going to keep following you and saying yes to what you have in front of me, and trust that the things that are ahead of me are greater than the things that are behind me, or you never would have called me out of them. You didn't bring me into the wilderness to leave me here to die. He didn't take them out of Egypt so that they would struggle and die in the wilderness. He took them out of Egypt where they had lemons and garlic into a place where all they had was bland food because He had a promised land flowing with milk and honey that He wanted to bring them into. But it took them stepping out of one thing and into something that looked completely different and they could look back and be like, well, there we had purpose and we were doing things and we were working and you know all these things that flood your mind and you forget, yeah, and your children were being abused and murdered and raped and you were being beaten and you were building another man's empire. And I called you out of there because I wanted to take you from there to another place. And before you could get into the land of milk and honey, there's this little time called the wilderness and you may not be bearing a ton of fruit in there, but I'm building something inside of you so that when I pull you into the promised land, you're actually capable of stewarding it the way I want you to steward it. And if you run back to Egypt, you miss out on where I have next for you. If you look back at Egypt and go, that was where the promise of God was. That was where the the things that God had for my life, they were contained back there. And you run back to Egypt, you leave behind the promised land that He's calling you into. And when we do that, it's because we don't trust that where He's taking us is as great as where He's taking us through already. And we want to decide. We're hooked to Jesus and we want to turn around and start plowing in the other direction. Let me just tell you this. He's not going to turn and go with you. You can unhook and start walking back if you want to, but I promise you He's not taking another step and He'll be right there where you stopped when you turn around and look back. Because He has no interest in leading you back into Egypt. He only has interest in taking you to where the Father created you to be. And until you walk back and get back hooked up with Him, you're going to wander on your own in the wrong direction. And Sometimes i will let you. Sometimes He'll let us. That's the scary thing, right? Like freedom in Christ and knowing that we have a free will and that we can make choices is awesome until it's not. Right? Because sometimes it's nice to just have someone tell you like, hey, do this and this is what I want you to do. And sometimes you get to make choices in your life. And sometimes He lets you make choices. And sometimes He lets you... Just like a parent. I can't continually tell my kids every single time what they can and can't do. At some point, I've got to start entrusting them to make decisions even if they're not the best decision because i trust that they need to learn these lessons now when these decisions mean you know like when decisions mean hurt feelings rather than life or death and i've got to trust them and i've got to trust that they'll learn from their mistakes and it's nice when god says yes no yes no yes no but then sometimes he starts saying yes or no the power of life and death is in your hands i, I put before you this day a choice you choose whom you'll serve He'll tell us which one, right? Sometimes he says, "Like I I put before you this day of choice, life or death, blessing or cursing. Choose life that I might bless you. (laughs) It's not hard. It's not like a trick question. This wasn't like a hard quiz. He provided the answer for it, but then he said, you have to fill out the paper and you get to choose. Since I got born again, I've always had a desire and always known that I wanted to be used by the Lord. And, And can I just say this, that the grace to do a certain thing is not the same as the desire to serve Him leaving. If the grace to do a certain thing serving Him is gone and the desire to do that certain thing is no longer there, that's fine as long as there's still a grace and a desire to do something to serve Him. If you ever feel like you've come to a place in your life where you have no desire to serve Him at all, there's something wrong. That's not what I'm talking about here. If you ever feel like, man, I just have no desire to serve the Lord, I have no desire to do anything but chase the things that I want, and do the things that I want, that's a bad place to be in. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm saying I went from chaplaining to putting time and investing into people from the church. It's, it's going from doing one thing serving him to doing another thing serving him, and there being a short season in the middle where I didn't realize why he was calling me out of it. But the desire never left me to actually serve him and do something for him with my life. And so I, I knew that I wanted to serve him. I knew I wanted to be used by him ever since I got born again. And, and so um, I shortly after getting born again, I, I started going to church with my then friend, Patty, because I was hungry for the Lord, and it was a great way to hang out with her without any other dudes around. And so I anything she was going through, i would pick me up. I didn't have a car at the time, right? I know. There's hope for you guys. I had no car. And she had to pick me up for everything. Sometimes I'd be like, let me drive. <laughs> and she said no. Um, and so, so we started going to church together. And... And we started dating and and it wasn't long after we started dating that we started getting invitations from people at the church to get involved in different things. And I finally said yes to one thing and and we we kind of we worked in children's ministry and we became children's room leaders and children's pastors and man, we were (laughs) at one point in time we dressed up for two services a week in Star Trek uniforms and worked in the in the upstairs like second to fifth grade classroom. I know. There's pictures somewhere. I promise there has to be. We worked in the spaceship, which is where we taught the kids from second to fifth grade. That's what we did. I know, the light ship, yes. Dude, we had this thing, no joke. It was a little room that had a clear glass door on it, and we would beam characters from the Bible in. They had a smoke machine. Listen, you would fill it up with smoke... And then someone could step in from behind, and then you would open the door, and this Smokey Moses would come walking out and teach the kids. Smoky Moses would come walking out, <laughs> and, <teach the> <laughs> come walking out. <laughs> and like eventually all the kids figured out what it was, and you could hear them, like, it's a smoke machine. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Yes, the glamorous life of a wannabe televangelist. <laughs> but anyway, so, so we, but we did these things, and, and, and it didn't matter what it was. We just knew that we wanted to be used by God. And we just kept saying yes to things, and eventually went on to be a children's pastor, and then youth pastor, college and career pastor, and different things. And then all of a sudden the day came when there, the grace to do any of that stuff was just gone. And I didn't know how I was going to tell the guy who was the pastor at the time and and tell him I just can't do the children's pastor thing anymore. But it was gone. I mean, gone. Like, couldn't get it back if I wanted to. I wasn't dressing up in anything. And so, no sin, no disobedience, no scandal, No like allowing my heart to be stole by other things. It just wasn't there anymore. It was fully the Lord who pulled that grace off my life. And so the pastor called me and he said, hey, I'd I'd like to meet up with you. And I was so busy at the time because I was in business with my my brother-in-law, Colin, that the only time we had to meet him was he came to where we were having lunch and met him in the parking lot. And he said, hey, I'm just wondering, would it feel like a blessing to you if I told you that um, if I if I relieved you of, of having to worry about the children's department anymore, and I said, "Oh my gosh, yes, yes, that would be a huge relief." He said, "Okay, I kind of could feel that," and I was like, "Oh, thank you, Lord, like a gracious way out without having to go to him and leave him stranded." And and so, but then there was a time I just dedicated myself. To, I, I, I like I said, no sin, no scandal. You're still seeking the Lord, still following Jesus, still desiring to be used. I just put more of my efforts into being a business partner, being a husband, being a father, working hard. We worked long hours. It was just the two of us. Colin taught me all kinds of stuff about building and hunting and just lessons he didn't even realize he was teaching me about attention to detail and all those things. But there were times, if I'm honest, where I looked at it and thought... I was on this trajectory you know I was on this path and I did all the stepping stones and I promise you in my heart there was no desire to ever be a pastor There was no desire to see any of these things as stepping stones. We just kept saying yes to the things we felt like God was saying yes to. Never with a path in mind of, I'll do this for a little while, then God will open this door and I'll do that for a little while, then God will open this door and I'll do that for a while, then next thing you know, I'll arrive at my shining moment and I'll step on the stage and become the pastor. I never thought like that. I just kept saying yes. But there were times... I believe it was the enemy trying to discourage me. It was my own human reasoning and logic where I thought, man, I was on this path, I was on this trajectory, and now I'm not doing anything. Which wasn't true. It wasn't even close to true. I was doing all kinds of things. I just wasn't doing anything ministry vocationally, I was no longer on staff at the church. But I didn't realize it at the time. God was teaching me so many important things for what he had next. And I could have tried to recreate that time or start up something of my own or step into something new or float my resume out there, you know, hey, looking for a youth path, you know. I could have done those things. I'm not saying if God tells you to do that, do it. I'm not making fun of that. For me, it would have been completely wrong. Because the grace was completely gone. And I'm thankful that I had enough wisdom that He showed me enough for me to say, okay, God, I trust You and I'm just going to do what You've called me to do in this season and I believe there's things. And He taught me. And listen, I think every young man that wants to be in full-time vocational ministry should go pour concrete for a year of their life at least. <laughs> or work some hard job where, where you learn the value of doing things that you don't want to do, but you have to where you learn that it's not okay to give up when it gets hard, that actually there's other people that are depending on me. There were days, literally, when we were working, the only thing that kept me going was I knew Colin was at the bottom of the driveway, pouring the driveway by himself while I was up top finishing, finishing by myself. And it was hot. It was like 103 degrees. The, water, the ground was like baby powder. It was dry. You're so thirsty that you can't even swallow hardly. And the only thing that kept me going was knowing that he's depending on me to do what I can do. And the only thing that kept Him going was Him depending on me to do what I could do. And you learn the value of doing things that you don't think that you can do and stepping into things. And when you say yes to something, letting your yes be yes and your no be no and keeping commitments and working hard. I learned all those things, but God never came to me in the middle of it and said, Roy, just trust me, buddy. Hang in there for a little bit longer because I have something for you. And when you get done learning these lessons, I'm going to call you into what's next. See, it would be so nice if you would have stepped into the middle of it and said, Roy, listen, I know you're hot. I know you're tired. I know that this isn't fun. I know it's hard. But just trust me. I'm building something in you that's invaluable and I'm teaching you things that one day will be so valuable and so such a part of your character and you can't see it now, but I have great things in store for you. He never said that to me. He never said anything about what was coming. He just told me to work hard. To be a husband, be a father, be a provider. But here's the thing. If I really believe that if I'm following Jesus, He's making me something, then I have to believe that even when I don't see the immediate fruit, that one day there will come a time where I look back and I see the fruit of that season of my life. Otherwise, I'll become discouraged and I'll give up and I'll jump early and I'll step out of something He's called me into, thinking that there's no way this is what God has for my life. Be really careful that you're not on a trajectory and that you don't know what it looks like to get from where you are to where God wants you to be. Because otherwise, you'll start filtering things through. Does it make sense? Is it the next step? Does this get me where I want to be? You don't even know where you want to be a lot of times. I had no clue that right here is where I wanted to be. He never told me that I was going to be pastoring a church. In fact, I said no when I got asked. And now I wouldn't trade it for the world. So real quick, three things. Three things. if i feel like my life is different how many of you guys feel like you're in a season where you where you look and you say my life is totally different than it was not too not too long ago how many of you guys i knew it i knew this was for a lot of people if my life looks totally different than it did not too long ago there's three important things to ask myself the first one is am i living in sin And I'm not talking about have I messed up sin, made a mistake, got angry, done something I shouldn't, willfully sinned, but saw it, repented, and am walking away from that. I'm saying, am I living in sin? Am I constantly, continually allowing a pattern of sin in my life that I'm either having to justify? or I'm having to harden my heart and my conscience against. Because if that's the case, the reason you're not seeing fruit is not because you're stepping into what He has next for you, it's because you've left Jesus behind, you've turned, and you're walking in a direction He doesn't have for you to walk. There's an easy solution to that. Repent. Repent. Change the way you think. Stop what it is that you know you shouldn't be doing. Step away from it, and step back into what He's called you to. That one's simple because here's the thing if we if we continually allow something in our life that we know that we shouldn't it starts to create this stronghold in our life and eventually it will lead us into rebellion every single time i promise number two have i willfully disobeyed what i know he would he's called me to not did i make a wrong choice here or there we, you, listen it's way harder to screw up your life than you think it is It's not like you know you got like every test is like or every decision that you make. Well, you screwed that one up, and God just closes the book on you and says, "On to the next person. That person's a total loss." it's it's a lot harder. But what I'm saying is, is there something that I know God spoke to me or called me to or told me to do that I'm right now actively being disobedient to? If that's the case, go back and be obedient to the last thing He spoke to you. Because you're not not seeing fruit because you're stepping into what's next. You're not seeing fruit because you're not being obedient to the thing that He's called you to. And He's not going to speak another thing until you're obedient to the first thing that He spoke to you that you've disobeyed. Go back to the last time He spoke and be obedient. I promise you, one right decision can undo a thousand wrong. But we have to be honest with ourselves. Okay, and if, if, if the answer is no to those two, then the third thing is, am I following Jesus? Not, not living in sin, not being disobedient, but am I occupied by all these things? Or am I eyes focused on the one thing? Like a lot of times, see, a lot of times he's not going to get people who really do love God to just completely live in sin and rebellion to him. But you can get occupied with things that really aren't that important and your focus can become all these things. Like Martha, right? The things that she was doing were good things. She's cleaning up the supper mess. She's straightening out the room. All those things are things that are going to have to be done at some point. It's not that she was doing bad things. It's just that while Jesus was speaking, the things she needed to be doing was sitting at his feet and listening. And Jesus says, you know, you're worried about all these things. She's chose the one thing. In other words, am am I following Him? Can I honestly say that that the, the things that I'm doing, I am surrendered to, yielded to, and I'm following Jesus? If the answer to that is no, then take your eyes off of all the worthless things or even the good things that have distracted you and taken your attention off of Him. Put your focus back on Him. Come to Him and be honest and just say, God, I've let so many things take my attention and capture my attention. And I realize that. And I really want to put my attention back on You. I want to start following You with everything. Oh, God, forgive me for allowing myself to be preoccupied by things that are less important. And help me to keep my focus back on You. That's a prayer I promise He'll answer every single time. And if the answer is yes, I am following Jesus. No, I'm not living in willful sin. No, I'm not living in disobedience. Relax. Breathe. Don't freak out. Don't panic. Don't try to recreate a time that has passed or a season that was beautiful because that time or season is gone. You can look back with fondness and remember what God did and allow that to make you excited about what He will do, but you can't go back to where that was because that time and season is over. It will never be again. And if you went back and tried to recreate it, it would be a disappointment to you because the grace that was there at that time is no longer there. And you'd be living in that same season apart from the grace of God. Which is what made it so amazing to begin with. You'd be revisiting it apart from Him. It wouldn't be the same. So don't freak out. Don't panic. Don't try to recreate do be fully present in the season you're in. Do look for opportunities to be used where you are. Do learn from the people and situations that you find yourself in. And do this. Every day, trust. And to remind yourself. And I just need to close over with this. Jesus, You said that if I would follow You, You would make me to the thing that You desired for me to be. You said that You would make me someone who attracts people from where they are to where I am. You said you would do that. That was your promise. And so you said my part was to follow you. I'm following you. And even if right now I can't see what you're building in my life, even if right now I can't see the fruit of what you're doing in my life, even if right now I can't see the purpose, I believe that obedience matters and I believe that one day I will look back and I'll realize... That every single moment of this season was worth it because you were taking me from who I was and making me into who you desired for me to be. And all I have to do is follow you. That's it. It's not so complicated. We make it so hard. We have so many problems because we have so many answers. Like Mindy was singing earlier the answer's Jesus. It doesn't matter what the problem is, He's the answer. He promised this. He said it. He didn't say to the disciples, follow me and I'll see if you can be fishers of men or not. He never said that. He said, follow me and prove that you're following me by fishing for men and hold up your trophies like scalps. He said you follow me and I'll make you someone who attracts men from where they are to where you are. And some people, listen, there's all types of fishermen, right? There's fly fishermen, there's net fishermen, there's, there's people who troll, there's people who fish at the bottom of the sea. Everyone fishes dif- differently. Everyone does. And just because the way that you fish doesn't look like the way that he fishes doesn't mean that he's wrong or you're wrong. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Or just because the way you fish now isn't the same as the way that you fished back then, stop comparing yourself to yourself. And realize there was a time where He called me to fly fish. Now He's called me out into the open water and He's put a net in my hand. Or maybe there was a time where He called me to fly fish and He wants to bring me into the open water and put a net in my hand, but there's a boat ride from where I was to where He's calling me to be and during this time I'm not bringing in any fish. But I have to trust that if I don't stop and try to catch fish where He's not calling me to, one day I'll end up in the place where He wants me to and when I throw my net overboard, it'll come up full. He promised to do that. All He asks is that we follow Him. So God, I just thank You for that. I thank You for the ability to follow You. God, I thank You that we don't have to try to create something on our own. God, that we can live free of pressure. God, I pray right now for anybody who's lost desire to follow or to serve You, God. That You would restore to them that desire and that You would show them what has stolen it. God, that if any of us have lost the desire to serve You, that You would restore that desire, that fire, that burning to be the person You called us to be and to be used by You. I pray that that would never go out in our lives, God. But I pray that if You've lifted the grace to do something off of our lives, God, that we wouldn't feel pressure. We wouldn't feel that we have to figure out what's next, that we would trust that if we follow You, You're making us into the man that You've called us, the woman You've called us to be. That we would trust You. That we wouldn't panic that we wouldn't feel the pressure to become. That we would just feel that light and easy yoke of walking next to You in Your timing, in Your rhythm, in Your step. And I thank You for the fruitful seasons that You're bringing us into. I thank You for what's ahead, God, even before we see it, because I know it's good, because You're there and You're good. And I ask right now that any pressure, any stress, any anxiety because there's a different season of life that You've called us into would just be gone. That we would be able to relax and breathe and realize as sons and daughters that You're more committed to us becoming who You created us to be than we are. That You're more excited about our future than we are. And that You're more dedicated to seeing us become every single thing You've spoken over our lives than we are. And that if we just follow You, You'll make us into who You created us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen.